Well, here we are again. Merry Christmas to you, Victoria. I know you love oh this time of God. year. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> you are a ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I'm a Plymouth ho, ho, ho. That <laughs> you, fact do you is like Christ- true. Do you like Christmas? Yeah, I do, actually. I hate to say it. You know, I hate admitting that anything's positive or good. (laughs) Yeah, you do. And you're you're (laughs) never happy when you're putting your baubles up. (laughs) How about you? Uh, I don't know. Yes and no. There's bits of it I like and bits of it I loathe. Um, But yeah, I I went out today and... Go on then. What bits do you like and what bits do you loathe? (laughs) I know you don't really care. um, (laughs) No one cares. I, I, that's true. I went out today and um, I purchased some Christmas decorations for my house. I bought a new Christmas tree. Like, I'm bored of getting real ones because they're just a pain in the ass. So I got this artificial one and I got it. It's a pop-up Christmas tree. It's basically um, like a spiral of tinsel with some baubles and lights mixed in. And you sort of put this stand <laughs> up and you drop it off and it goes down to the bottom. And you've suddenly got like a conical Christmas tree and it just sits there. And it's the... It's, the, it's, it's the, like a life raft. It's the lazy boy christmas tree <laughs> <laughs> what is lazy boy why is that a trademark um, well, i don't know if it's a trademark it probably is but lazy boy is a type of chair that like like you sort of sit back in press a button and it sort of reclines for you and so oh, you, yeah. you, you can recline i always yeah. think of fat boy fat my boy. sister had a beanbag called a fat boy <laughs> <laughs> I think if I had a few more quids, then I'd get you one of them for Christmas. I'd love a fat boy. <laughs> They're like the the don of beanbags. <laughs> <laughs> the beanbaggy tooty beanbaggy. <laughs> um, you know, with beanbags that you usually sink down, you end up on the floor. Yeah. With fat boys, you hardly even have to sit down. You can just sort of gently ease your way into it like a big fluffy cloud. What are they filled with then? Obviously not beans. No, I, I think they've got some kind of patent. Well, they, they shouldn't be called bean bags if they're not filled with beans. They should be called patent oh, bags on. or phone oh. bags or whatever. Oh, old bags. <laughs> Just being anally retentive <laughs> about bean bags. Aren't you? So, former correspondent at the BBC, Ben Ando, is who you are. <laughs> I am, that's true. What else did I used to do? See if you remember. Who am I? No, I want to hear what, if you know what I did as well as that. What did you used to do? Um, you used to be a young Royster Doyster. <laughs> a Roger and a Royster. Yeah, and you used to give bad attitude every time anyone got a camera out. That's true. Um, and I take it that you're a bit of a terror on the water slides as well. <laughs> <laughs> and a terror of the playground, weren't you? <laughs> when I was a little boy, yes, possibly. I had a, I had a little gang. <laughs> Not when, now. When I was about six years old, I had a little gang and it, uh, we used to go around the playground pulling girls' knickers down. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that reminds me of a case that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yes. Not quite the same. I'm Ben Ando. I'm a former BBC news correspondent and crime reporter. I can't let you finish because it's relating to the last thing that you said. I'm so sorry. Say it again. Say it again. Was it before or after the nativity that you used to do the pants down? (laughs) It was, I think, no, pants down was before the nativity. Actually, no, I must have been about five when I was doing pants down. Um, I think I was... um, (laughs) And then the nativity was, I think, when I was seven. It was just before I, I sort of went off to, to junior school when I was still, when I was right at the top of infants. Oh, so the lad who you had to say hi to and interrupted the whole nativity play for that and yeah. got told off for, was he in your crew of pants downers? Oh, uh, 
Sounds a bit rude. <laughs> no, well, this is a different town because when I was a little boy, we moved around quite a lot because my dad was no in the No wonder. Hotel. You had to get away from your own reputation. <laughs> we was in the hotel business. The Pantsdown School was in a small village uh, called Whittlesea uh, in Cambridgeshire near Peterborough. And then the the um, Nativity Disgrace School was in the town of Huntingdon in Cambridgeshire. <laughs> From one bad scene to the next. <laughs> and the teenage shoplifting town, which we'll come on to in a future podcast, <laughs> was in Northamptonshire. Oh, my God. The terror of England, generally. That was, that was where we used to, we used to nick uh, dirty books and give them to the boarders so they had something to wank over. As, a per- Board, <laughs> as in the boarding people? Yeah, not just the cracker. Hey, You've heard What's of the cra- cracker? Have you not heard of the cracker game? No. <laughs> Okay, the is crack. that soggy biscuit? I think it might be apoc- apocryphal, but it's where oh, suppo- I think it might be an apocryphal thing. I've never seen it What's or done apocryphal? it. What's apocryphal? How do you spell that? Because you're a bit muffled anyway on these headphones. Okay, what? apocryphal is where yeah. it's something that you hear people talk about, but it's not necessarily true. Oh, right, like most of the stuff you come out with. Like most of the stuff I come out <laughs> with. <laughs> so, Welcome to a not very true crime podcast. <laughs> So, do you want me to tell you what the cracker game is? No, I'm going to keep on interrupting you. <laughs> that'll, that'll be a fun listen. <laughs> People keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, welcome. Yes, welcome back, everybody who's coming back, despite the fact that I keep getting interrupted. <laughs> despite the fact that we are us. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> God. <laughs> Go on, tell us. I've interrupted you quite enough. Well, supposedly it's where a sort of a gang of boys form a circle... And they kneel down, they put a cracker in the middle of the circle and they start masturbating and they, when they masturbate they ejaculate over the cracker and the last one to ejaculate has to eat the cracker. Oh, cracker as in not a Christmas cracker? No, a, cr- a cream cracker. <laughs> <laughs> so it is soggy biscuit. Well, I suppose it is. Oh, is that what you were talking about? Yep. So what? So have you, you've heard of the soggy biscuit game? My game's a lot more humane because you actually get to eat a biscuit along with all the spunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to get, you get. If you like, maybe if you like crackers more than biscuits, you'd be happy to eat the cracker. Well, in that case, crackers the game for you. <laughs> Christmas cracker. <laughs> I think that's enough of that one. Don't you, what keeps pinging? Not oh, me. It's me. I was going Do, to tell you all. I'm um, Victoria Mitzi. <laughs> I'm your co-host for the for the evening. But Hello. I want, I want to hear what you know about the soggy this soggy biscuit game you've just described. It's just the same. It's just the same. Let's not dwell, shall but we? Do you think it's true or apocryphal? <laughs> Um, well, have either of us ever had evidence of this game existing? Only No, only it's the thing that people talk about. You've heard about it's it and like I've a, heard about it independently. Do you know what else it goes along with in the cupboard of fables with seven different types of sperm from the curry house? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, and the Mark Armand story? Oh, go on. Oh, come on, you must... Everybody knows where they were when they first heard the Mark Armand story. What's the like, Mark Armand story? It's like Freddie Starr's hamster. Yeah, it's like, it's like everybody knows where they were when they first heard that JFK had been assassinated, and everybody knows where they were when they first heard the Mark Armand story. No, no idea, Mark Armand story. I'm sure it's completely made up and not I true. i put but, my glasses on for this one. But everybody used to, everybody used to <laughs> say um, that... Mark Armand was rushed to hospital um, with severe sort of oh. stomach cramps and poisoning, oh. and they pumped his stomach and got about six pints of sperm out. Oh, why him? 
him? What about George Michael? Couldn't it have been him? I suppose it could. All of the other famous gays. I don't know. It just it was just, it was always described as the Mark Armand story when I heard it, but I, it could have been any one of a number of people. And it's probably. Whereas, and I just can I just say I think it's completely untrue. By the way. Well, you guess off lightly in comparison to the Barrymore treatment. Oh uh, yeah. What's the Barrymore treatment? Oh my God! Haven't you? That young chap, Stuart Lubbock, was um, found dead in his swimming pool, wasn't oh, he? Barrymore. A... Barrymore. I think you said Barrowmore. What did you think I said? I think it's Barrowmore. Yeah, I was talking about the famous Michael Barrowmore. So what's Barry? The Barrymore story with Stuart Lubbock. He was found dead in the pool. Yes, and I heard that he was buggered to death. <laughs> really? Don't laugh. But what, but what does that involve? I mean, it's... What's funny about buggering someone to death, may I ask? Well, because what is the injury that you sustain that causes the fatal, you know, incident? What What is the injury that you sustain that causes you to actually die? Is it like a... Pun- I don't know. I don't know very much about being buggered to death, but, thank God. Is it like a punctured rectum or something? Here we go. iNews has told us what happened to Stuart Lubbock. Let's have a look. Glasses back on. The Stuart Lubbock I knew and buggered. Here we are. Everything we know about the Michael Barrymore pool death. And on that cliffhanger, I shall leave you because we are going to attend to that later in the podcast. All right? Okay. What have we got for you today, my lovelies? We've got a <laughs> bit of where are they now? We need a we need a Christmas jingle. Let's see if um our producer or myself <laughs> <laughs> wants to put it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in that bit everywhere you go we've got Maxine Carr where she is now what she's up to and that um, unfolded into quite a lot of other people who he wants to talk about and it segued into one of the crimes that you've covered that we're going to talk about briefly which was the BJ DJ <laughs> Richard Baker, the BJ DJ, absolutely. Uh, dubbed one of Britain's worst sex offenders um, in uh, in the early 2000s. Oh, 1999, it was that he was jailed. Yeah, Interesting how we both came to this from different angles, because I was looking into where are they now, and I found local crimes, I'm in Devon, which were... Hang on. Oh, yeah, it was, it was just big local crimes that had happened years ago. And then I mentioned it to Ben, and Ben was like, oh, I did that crime. Well, he didn't actually do it. I didn't do, do the crime. I did the I always trial. say you do the crimes. But, uh, or maybe you just did the time. <laughs> I didn't do the crime or the time. <laughs> Lucky you, but you got to hear all the juicy details, so we'll I hear did. more about that. And what's been happening on our motorways and roads, the UK's motorways and roads, Ben? I haven't got a clue. Oh, yes, I have. There's yes, I been have. Lo- yes, I have. Yes, I have. Smooth as usual, <laughs> professional. What's been happening on our motorways and roads is that apparently <laughs> gangs of criminals have been climbing out of the, to the roofs of their cars, and then the cars have been driving up close to lorries. The criminals have then been reaching over to the lorries and stealing from them, which sounds absolutely insane, but we're going to talk about that later. What did they call it? What's that fast and furious, modern day fast and furious? It's also known as the Romanian rollover. You just couldn't get better. And it's it follows on from our lorry crime, the lorry crimes that we're keeping you abreast of here on You Didn't Let Me Finish, which started out with people losing a drug stash off the top of their van. And then the police being baffled as to who took it, no one knowing anything, probably everyone's high. That was in Northern Ireland, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was. And this has been going on all over the place. And apparently it's, it's not just lorries, it's um, smaller vans as well, that the crimes are increasing exponentially at the moment with the 
um, aforementioned Christmas period. Well, I suppose it's, so it's a, it is a time of year for giving and therefore taking. That's right. And um, it, it's amazing. I've posted something on our YDLMF podcast Twitter. Is that right? Yeah, the Twitter handle is at YDLMF podcast. <laughs> Can you believe and, I have to ask Ben? And the email address for anybody who wants to email us is you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. We've made them really easy and convenient to remember. Yeah, everything about our marketing is basically really smooth. (laughs) (laughs) But going back to the Twitter thing, have a look at these hijacks which are going on as they move. Yeah, and they're cornering the drivers, and um, it's all very fast and furious and um, rollovery. And what they're stealing predominantly appears to be flat screen televisions. <laughs> Always a favourite with the YDLMFers. Absolutely. Where are they now? At this Christmas time, it's a time for looking back. Where are they now? <laughs> you said that like a game show host. I'm feeling pretty game show today, I must admit. Yeah, so am I. Our survey I said, saw... Let's see. What's happened to Maxine Carr? I'm sure you remember the face at the time of the murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, 2002 it was, that we saw not only Ian Huntley, who was convicted of their murder, also the face of his then lover, Maxine Carr, who looked very sorry for herself, short, She's a curly bob, Ben. <laughs> sure. I was just looking at her head, doing, wondering if you'd comment on it. On the curly bob? Yeah. Do you think she has a diffuser? <laughs> I don't know, quite possibly. <laughs> I know you know what one of them is. I'm a diffuser refuser. I don't, I'm not going <laughs> to... I don't have a diffuser. I don't really need one. Her picture was all over the papers because she was caught lying. The court actually decided she played no part in the murders other than um, covering up for her boyfriend, then-boyfriend Ian Huntley, when he killed the schoolgirls. Um, and then she served just 21 months in prison and was granted lifetime anonymity. So my ears pricked up when I heard that. Just a little recap. She was a classroom assistant and when she was given the sentence of perverting the course of justice she served the 21 months and on a release in 2004 she was given a new secret identity amid concerns she'd be attacked. Draconian legal orders, says the son, gave her lifelong anonymity. She told police that her then-fiancé, Ian Huntley, had been with her on August the 4th, 2002, when Holly and Jessica were murdered in Soham in Cambridgeshire. In fact, she'd been in Grimsby at a nightclub with another man. Since her release from prison in 2004, it's cost the taxpayer around £2.5 million to provide Carl with a new identity and police protection. She's then, she's since then rebuilt her life and even remarried in what the son's calling a lavish ceremony. Despite knowing about her disturbing past, her besotted new boyfriend walks her down the aisle at a luxury wedding venue in 2014. Her husband's relatives were said to be stunned at his decision to marry her after hearing about her shameful past. Carl was said to have delighted in being the centre of attention. Funny that, a bride being delighted at being the centre of her attention. She's one of only four former UK prisoners protected by a lifelong anonymity order, along with child killer Mary Bell and James Bulger's murderers Robert Thompson and John Venables. 
So I think the thing, I mean, I, I actually have to say, I covered the trial of Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr. They were in the in the Old Bailey. So the thing about Maxine Carr is, I mean, she, okay, she only lied for him, but she got the prison sentence because she lied for him repeatedly. I mean, she'd been away at Grimsby when he um, uh, murdered uh, Holly and Jessica. She got back. He then asks her to tell the police that she was there all weekend, effectively giving him an alibi, which she does. And she did it again and again. And also... Um, she cleaned the house, which meant that obviously it made foren- gathering forensic evidence much, much harder. Um, and it was finally, it was only when um, another different witness revealed that um, she was actually uh, away in her hometown and not in Soham that weekend that the police uh, arrested Huntley and Carr and obviously he was charged and convicted. So, um, you know, she she was jailed for perverting the course of justice, which she really did. And it's quite possible that um, Huntley would have been arrested far, far sooner. Um, if she had not lied to the police about being in Soham that weekend. Huntley was also recorded as saying that he understood why Carr lied also in court. Because, is this right, Ben, that um, she referred to him as that thing in the the box? So, so, I mean, you know, obviously up until the trial, the theory had been that they were sort of in some kind of cahoots and she had covered up for him and still cared for him and loved him who knows what happened whether she really felt that she you know didn't want to be with him anymore or would have anything to do with him whether it was what her lawyers told her to get herself a more lenient sentence or to make a good impression on the jury but in any event she appeared to distance herself from him um being you know sort of rude about him during the trial um and he has said that he doesn't blame her for doing that that he understands why she did it um I mean, honestly, I don't really care. Um, I suppose, you know, she is she did was given this lifelong um, anonymity order, and that's quite, you know, understandable because, let's be honest, if anybody knew who she was, then, her, you know, she would be in danger. There would be people who would want her to come to harm. Um, I mean, what's interesting about this story is that her new partner, her new husband, did know who she was and decided that obviously he still loved her in any event and her family were were described in this article as being stunned at his decision to marry her after learning of her shameful past but what i don't really understand was how many people were told because in theory she, this this anonymity that she has unless she chooses to tell people is supposed to be something that nobody can break that's a good point something i want to clarify with you and it makes a big difference to the way that i look at the case uh-huh Was she deliberately covering up for any more... I mean, do you think she was just an out-and-out liar and didn't and knew that he'd murdered the girls? I think that... Because she's said to have told him to move the girls' bodies from his car boot. Well, that's what Huntley says. I mean, the thing is, you know, these these two... You know, Huntley killed two young girls when she wasn't there. So he is... He fundamentally was somebody... She was away, He he and he committed murder while she was away. But she knew about it. Well, hang on, coming to that. She didn't let me finish! So he committed murder while she was away. She then returns. Nobody really knows what he said to her. Did he say, oh, my God, they were here, but... And they left... Left and now everybody's trying to stitch me up I just need you to help me here or did did as you know he is suggesting did he tell her more did she know about it and that it was her who uh, orchestrated the cover-up um, by telling him to move the girls bodies from his car boot to remote woodland uh, near Lakenheath um, in Suffolk so the neighboring county of Suffolk um, and, and that's what he says but who's going to trust what Ian Huntley says frankly we just don't know but she definitely 
lied. Yeah, I mean, she definitely... Uh, because she, she also spoke about them in the past tense in an interview, didn't she? That's right, yeah. She, she definitely told the police to start with, for, and several times that she was with Huntley that weekend uh, and therefore he couldn't have killed them. Uh, she covered up for him in that way. Uh, beyond that, did she um, actually come up with the plan to hide the bodies? Did she do more? Did, did she intentionally clean the house? Was she just, I don't know if she was somebody who's just the kind of person who's quite high, house proud and would clean her house anyway, or whether she's the kind of person who actually normally would not particularly uh, assiduous when it comes to the household cleaning um, and just decided to scrub the house to try and get rid of forensic evidence. In any event, she was convicted of perverting the course of justice. So, it, you know, the, the actual details around that don't particularly matter. I don't think it's cricket. Uh, no, I suppose the thing is, what well, you know, her new husband, the guy who's married Maxine Carr, Mr. Maxine, the question is, you know, has she, has she, so she, he has found out who she is, perhaps because she told him. I mean, perhaps because he recognised, I mean, her photo is everywhere. I don't know if she's changed her appearance or not. Did she, did she decide to tell him and be up front with him and say, look, this is what really happened? Did she tell him the truth? Did she tell him, look, um, yes, I covered up for Ian because I loved him and I just wanted him to be innocent and now I wish I hadn't. You just don't know what she said. Hey, um, that's not far from you. How far is Soham from No, Soham's not far from me. When I mean, when I covered the story, I was driving there straight from my house. It was only about, um, I don't know, 25-minute drive from where I live. Yeah, it's not that far. There was a real outcry about Maxine Carr, predominantly because she's a woman. Don't you think that she was a teaching assistant and any sort of implication that she might be involved in covering up the death of two little girls was it really exploded. Of course, like people wanted to find and they expect the killer to be a male by profile, I suppose. Well, it was, was a no male. The killer was a male. They? Exactly. But they don't expect an accomplice to be a female. No. It's and always shocked people, hasn't it? Well... You know, women committing very, very serious crimes is shocking because, let's be honest, the vast majority of violent, evil crime is committed by men. You know, what is it, something 90% of murders, 95% of murders are carried out by men. Men tend to oh, kill... Oh, you lot. Well, quite. I mean, it's, it is, you know, just a practical reality of the difference between the um, the genders. So, the you know, hearing... You know, when you do hear about a woman who's been involved with a serious crime, whether it's Myra Hindley, whether it's Rose West, whether it's Joanne Dennehy, or whether it's Maxine Carr, then it, it has shock value because of its uh, novelty, because it's unusual. Sorry, sorry, I'm reading an email. You're not concentrating, are you, Victoria? <laughs> oh, not let me finish. He did not let me finish. He did not let me finish. Says the king of non-concentrating on anything I say. <laughs> Yes, well, um, okay, w what was the last thing you said? <laughs> I am sorry. I am interested as well, go on. Well, I've, I've finished talking, I was waiting for you oh. to come back with some Yeah, but what was your last quip. point? Oh dear, sorry. Well, my last thing was just that it's novelty that when women commit serious crime because it's so unusual. Yes, and that leads <laughs> us nicely on to Rose. <laughs> Rosie, so Christmas is rosy. So Rose Rose West now, who's who is one of the three women, the others being Myra Hindley and Joanne Dennehy, who have been sentenced to a lifelong prison term. Um, she's now serving her sentence at a place called New Hall, which is near Wakefield in um, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Yeah, which Yorkshire is it? West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire? I think it's West, West Yorkshire, isn't it? Yeah. So Rose West was moved to New Hall Prison from uh, a prison, I think, uh, up in the north. East um, last year 2019 <laughs> 
<laughs> what made me chuckle about this was that so this this prison new hall it's um it's seen as sort of I don't know they call they describe having rooms not cells uh, there are sort of like there's a downtime room with a fish tank and comfy couches where they can read books and magazines um, but apparently when she arrived she upset other inmates by making a strawberry cheesecake in the hope of <laughs> diffusing a violent situation <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it was about the strawberry cheesecake that made the other in- got the backs up of the other inmates. I don't think she's been described as very liked. I mean, other than the obvious sort of murders and child abuse and all the stuff that she's been and up to. Prostitution, I don't, don't think she's... Get that. Oh, yeah, the prostitution. I don't blame anyone for prostitution, though. Fair enough, then. Do you? Do you blame prostitutes for prostitution? Well, I don't blame anybody for prostitution, but at the time she was doing it, it was illegal. Oh, tut-tut, Rose. <laughs> you know whether whether prostitution should even be a crime or not is a good an argument for another time unless you want to have it now. No, I think I'll carry on with the cheesecake theme. <laughs> so, um, but not only was she doing that, wasn't she at a prison that Danahay was sent to? God, these are all these three keep coming back to each other, don't they? And Myra Hindley, who uh, apparently had a relationship with Rose West. And, and that went wrong because they want they they were quite competitive about who was the who was the the queen bee of the prison the bad girl the baddest <laughs> bad girl <laughs> Rose had to win with those glasses well it was, it was jam jar glasses versus beehive <laughs> do you think she kept that beehive I haven't seen another picture of Myra Hindley except that. <laughs> No, she didn't. I saw some photos of her in later life when she sort of lost her beehive. <laughs> Did they say all beehive? <laughs> okay, I found a little bit more. So, yeah. Rose West was Have actually. Have you found mo- what I found? Okay, Ro- yeah. Rose West was moved uh, to New Hall from a prison in Northumberland, um, mm. where she and because she, she had upset inmates there by making a strawberry cheesecake for a notorious violent burglar. Rose West was comforting 21-year-old Jessica Roth, who had been bullied, and apparently 65-year-old Rose took pity on Roth after she was targeted by other convicts. <laughs> Because oh. Roth had been jailed for 10 years for burgling a Good Samaritan old-age pensioner who had taken her into her oh, home to yes, wean her I've off drugs. This. Yes, and she looked like a right nasty piece of work. <laughs> she speaks very highly of you, I'm sure. <laughs> Myra Hindley had been behind bars for nearly 30 years when Rose West arrived at Durham Prison's high-security H-Wing, where a visitor described Hindley as being the Queen Bee. You were right, Ben. Had you actually read that somewhere? <laughs> No, I hadn't, actually. The Queen Beehive. (laughs) In the winter of 95, Hindley and West developed a relationship that went beyond mere friendship, says Trevor MacDonald. Um, But what (laughs) was it that drew these women together? Sorry? Tonight on News at 10 with me, says Trevor (laughs) MacDonald. I've so got to cut that out. The prison relationship between Rose and Myra. Former prisoner Marissa Mariko sounds good already, doesn't she? Um, describes Hindley as looking gaunt, menacing, and creepy. While Linda Calvi, who served seven years for armed robbery and eighteen years for murder, says that on seeing Rose West for the first time, she was startled by this little fat, dumpy woman with huge glasses who looked like a frumpy granny. 
But West couldn't mask her explosive temper. Marissa Mariko recalls seeing her after she'd read something in newspapers about her she didn't like. She describes West as literally foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog. They quickly became friends, the killers, not these two, visiting each other in their cells and having breakfast together at a small table with a red and white check tablecloth. Linda Calvi says most of the wing thought they were having an affair. It's an essential part of the story of Myra Hindley and Rose West that they were both attracted to sexual psychopaths, says MacDonald. Let me just... I think there's more about them sharing this table. I want to see what broke them up. Oh, here we are. At Durham Prison, Hindley and West's relationship fell apart in 96. At Durham Prison, Hindley and West's relationship fell apart in 1996. When they stopped speaking to each other, West told a fellow inmate that Hindley was manipulative and dangerous. <laughs> they were two very different people, says MacDonald. Hindley was intent on controlling other people and West couldn't control her temper. They sound like quite an old couples that I know. The oddball couple. <laughs> uh, Hindley died in 2002 at the age of 60. Rose West is now at Low Newton Prison in County Durham, if anyone wants to address any correspondence no, to her. No, she's not. She, that's, the, that's the one she was oh. moved from for making the cheesecake for Jessica Roth. Oh, I see. That was that. The cheesecake came after that, yes, did absolutely. it? <laughs> che- I mean, the cheesecake obviously is a pivotal part of the entire story. So Rose <laughs> Rose chummies up with um, Myra at Durham, then gets moved from there to the one at Northumberland, where she chummies up with the the um, the, the woman who let the burglars into to burgle the OAP's house, and they were really nasty. And that's where she made her the cheesecake, and the cheesecake upset all the other inmates. So then Rose was moved down to Newhall in just outside Wakefield. But seriously, okay, Rose West makes you a cheesecake. Is there any way you can enjoy that cheesecake? Is there? <laughs> Could you? What, a Rose West cheesecake? I, 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 Rose yeah. West. I, I'm going to have a Rose West cheesecake. Does sound like some kind of euphemism, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like a bake at the Rose West Bakery. <laughs> Rose West Bakery. A, 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 a... <laughs> That's amazing. You could do that. You could brand there. You could put Hindley on one side of the box and Myra on the other. What would you have today? A a Myra Hindley fondant fancy or a Rose West cheesecake? (laughs) A Hindley fairy cake. (laughs) Rosy fancy. I'm sure a few people had some of them. But I suppose the thing from Rose West's point of view... I mean, there's there's only a limited number of women's prisons. (laughs) Rose West is rapidly running out of prisons she can be transferred to. (laughs) She doesn't care, does she? No, I guess not. It's only down the road from here, Gloucester, isn't it? Rose West on tour of prisons. 1994 to, well, whenever she dies. (laughs) Whenever she dies. That's quite good. And then, for some reason, the internet took me to <laughs> shocking. It's got the word shocking in it. That's always good, isn't it? Yeah. Plymouth's most feared criminals. Where, Where are, are they? they now? <laughs> and that brought me to your friend, Ben. Uh, well, so, so Richard Baker is a DJ who's from Plymouth originally, but he was... Um, DJ. You have to say DJ like Kevin and Perry. In the, yeah. in the mid-1990s, he was doing a lot of sort of DJing in places like Ibiza and Marbella and stuff like that. And he was coming back to the UK and he was a very, very, very um, rapacious, evil, serial sex offender. And my recollection of his trial, um, at which he was convicted of 13 offences on victims aged 15, 16 and 18, 
and put behind bars for 17 years. Now, he was described as depraved and wicked, but he was convicted of 13 sexual offences, of which three were rape. The others were all, at that time, they were described as sexual assault. And actually, it was, you know, forcing his victim to give him oral sex, so he became known as the BJDJ. But... Um, I, my understanding is that following that case, um, forcing somebody to give you oral sex is now classified as rape as well. That's my recollection. Do you know that he tried to escape prison? Yeah, that's hilarious. This is a great story. So, he tried to escape from the high security Wakefield prison in West Yorkshire. So he could go and visit Rose West nearby. <laughs> they could go and have a Yorkshire pudding or a cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he was made to wear a brightly coloured green, ultra bright. It says green and yellow uniform, which a high visibility outfit apparently is only worn by inmates suspected of plotting escape bids. Ah. He's a general naughty boy, that one. So I'm not quite sure. So he he was found with maps and charts in his cell that include drawings of escape routes and diagrams of potential helicopter <laughs> landing spots, including I the prisoner's that. sports field. It says Across the, here. It, it says the plot was foiled during a routine cell inspection at the prison, and he also had a basic chart of Spain where he had formerly worked as a DJ. I mean, it, they said a basic chart of Spain. Does that mean he just like had a map of Spain? It was like whoopee do. So what? I mean, I've got maps. <laughs> Is there something yeah, wrong with I having a map? I think this publication might be grasping at straws a bit. I mean, like yeah. so. So drawings of escape routes. It's like a picture of a little box that says my cell, and then an arrow going out of the door. It says escape this way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like, what was it? How did you work out your route? I followed the arrows on my suit. Dump high visibility outfit here. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Benedict. Yes, Victoria. I need to know two things now because I've been building them up since you've been talking through me. Go on, then. I'm joking. I don't wish to put you in a good, a bad mood. Good, I don't wish to put you in a good mood. You know that. Um, but apparently I put you in a bad mood just before we started Get recording. to the point. <laughs> What was Richard like in the dock? Uh, he was good looking. Um, he was quite, I mean, he was, my recollection, he was very good looking. And his case was that he believed quite a lot of these offences were consensual. And he was somebody who was very used to taking his pick of the girls. You know, he was a sort of club DJ. I don't think he had any problem um, attracting, shall we say, female company. And I think he was somebody who was genuinely. <sighs> He just couldn't face it. He couldn't face that he'd been caught. He couldn't face that he had been convicted. He couldn't face that he was going to prison. He, he was very spoiled, very entitled, and just couldn't, I think, had a great deal of trouble sort of, you know, accepting that he wasn't going to be able to just carry on living his life exactly how the damn hell he pleased. And that was obviously a great joy for all of us in the press gallery at the time, watching this evil, nasty man get his comeuppance. Yes, of course. And um, what is also drew my attention to this chappy is that he is from these parts. He's from Bodmin, I believe. He stomped around Devon and he was indeed sentenced to something in Devon. So we can talk about that a bit more next week. I also want to know about Maxine Carr in court and, and Ian Huntley, please. Okay, you know well, I like a court presence. That's why I like court reporting. I like to yeah. scope them out, stare at them a bit. I mean, Ian, my recollection of Ian Huntley in court was that he just, you know, didn't have much to say. He was, when he gave evidence in his own defence, he was very, very 
unbelievable. He just did not come across at all well. He seemed whiny and needy. And I don't know if that's what his defence lawyers had suggested he channel. But he he was not a very sympathetic uh, witness in court at all. Maxine Carr, I can barely remember. She was she sort of sat hunched down in her chair. So, you know, in the dock at the Old Bailey, the sort of sides are quite high. And so you could kind of barely see her. And she sort of moved herself away from Ian Huntley so she was right at sort of the, the other end if you like of the of the dock sort of there it's probably about I don't know 10 feet and were they in the across. same box that's my recollection yes okay there's only one dock in the old bailey so you kind of have to be but they'll normally if you've got people who what do you are, mean there are different courtrooms no no they, it was the same trial you have two different trials um and no no I mean I mean I don't know which courtroom it was it was I think it was court number oh they built they're built differently aren't they I need According to ask my to friend. Trials, Je- I, my friend Jeremy Britton would know. You, you can ask your friend Victoria Mitzi because I know this for a fact. What? That they're built differently. Yes, that's right. There's the, the new annex and the original. No, but they were definitely tried in one of the old original courtrooms. I think it was court two. Oh. My friend Jeremy Britton probably remember because he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of all the goings on at the Old Bailey. Oh well, you can ask him that when you next have a pint. <laughs> uh, in two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever COVID is ended, we can actually go to pubs again. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that because I was shocked and I, I really what I made a note to bring that forward for the podcast because it was so uh, he was so prolific. I couldn't believe all the offences that he was guilty of. Who, right. Baker. Where are they now? Yes, Baker. What happened to Stuart Lubbock? We'd like to know. <laughs> right. Let's have a look. This is something we haven't planned. Off the cuff. Oh, live news. Live news in the telling. Uh-huh. <laughs> In the early hours of blah, 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 2001, uh, emergency services had a call. A body had been found in the swimming pool of Michael Barrymore. And if you're from other parts of the world, Michael Barrymore was a big entertainer in the UK. He was primetime material. Someone's drowned in the pool. Uh, When paramedics arrived at the scene, the lifeless body of Stuart Lubbock was lying by the side of the pool. At the time, eyewitnesses told attending police officers they believed what had happened was a tragic accident. However, fresh evidence being brought to light. When was fresh evidence? February the 6th, 2020. In documentary, Barrymore, the body in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Set to air in February, which... Did you see it, Ben? I didn't see it. They believe it to be one of rape and murder. Mm, There's a whole big backstory here, which I'll flick through. (laughs) A whole big backside story. Oh dear! Can I say that? Or maybe, maybe the back store, back side wasn't big enough. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's horrible. They made a DCIC. Stephen Jennings is saying they made mistakes in terms of the crime scene. Um, a lot of witnesses said it was a tragic accident, so we believed them. Oh, that always sounds like it's um, a harbinger of doom, doesn't it? I'm very wary. I don't know if we don't if it's been shown that it wasn't a tragic accident. Was it? Was anything? Um, was somebody ever... There was an item apparently used to sexually assault Stuart Lubbock before he died. Right. Um, a thermometer is is a significant item. It fits the coroner's description of an item that was used to sexually assault him. An autopsy reveals that Stuart had suffered severe internal injuries, which are likely to have been caused by an act of sexual assault with an item. So there you go. That, that's why I heard that terrible okay. Chinese whisper of, um, you know, terrible. Oh, here we go. An object like this, or even this object, could have produced the injuries I identified on Stuart's anus if this had been passed to the anal canal a number of times. 
what, says the coroner. What, what, what are they saying? A thermometer? Mm, apparently. But um, th- that's what they're saying. The evidence was corrupted. So they think it was a thermometer. But I mean, thermometers can be pushed up people's rectums anyway. There is a rect- such a thing as a rectal thermometer. Is it like? Yeah, but not into their colons. Oh, was it pushed in and then it snapped or something? Oh, Ben, one step too far. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> OK, DCI Jennings says, I believe very much that Stuart Lubbock was raped and murdered that night. And that's what he says on the documentary. Oh, OK. So, no wonder Barrymore hasn't been able to... He tried to make a comeback. He was in um, Get Me Out of Here thing, was which he? I don't oh. watch. Yeah, I think so, or something like that. But he's never really made it back again as big as he was, has he? No, no, no absolutely. I, Did no... you think he was funny? No, I always thought he was a, 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 one of the least entertaining entertainers in the history of entertainment. Well, that's what I thought. and I, It's like Savile. I think Jimmy Savile, you look back on it and you think, who actually thought they were funny? Because I didn't even at the time. And I'm not just saying that to <laughs> be in with the in crowd. All I'm hearing is you're just saying that. Lorries, high-speed chases. Woo, let's go. <laughs> what? Well, this is, this is, this is a story about... Um, r- well, it depends where you read. Some say it's Romanian gangs. Some just mm. say it's sort of like other gangs of sort of like people. But they're climbing on, out of cars, driving along roads. They're using the... I mean, there's a photo showing this car with a hole cut in the roof and, like, a wooden frame. Says, well, why don't you just get a car with a sunroof you can just open? That would be the easiest I thing know. to do. But they did climb out of a sunroof. I read that somewhere along these because there are... Lo- what's happening, I think, is that there's a lot of hearsay in this because there are very few prosecutions that have happened so far. Ah. So they've counted incidents, yeah. but they haven't caught people. So if you're thinking of hijacking a lorry go ahead because the cops won't catch you anyway <laughs> so these romanian gangs are... that was a joke that was a joke <laughs> these, these romanian gangs are apparently um driving along they're coming up behind lorries sometimes another car will go in front of the lorry and kind of drive slowly to make the lorry slow down they the guys are jump climbing onto the roof of the car then climbing down onto the bonnet then reaching forward undoing the rear doors of the lorry to steal their i don't know flat screen television or what was it you said the gay gangs so they're stealing leather caps, um, hot pants and <laughs> trousers with the arses cut out. Whatever. Now, why did I think you said gay gangs? You were saying something and I was like, I thought you said gay gangs. Gay gangs. And so, uh, yeah, we thought they were like a bunch of kind of the dirty Sanchez crew. <laughs> Here we go again. With their big tashes. <laughs> and their flared, um, what are those things called? What? Oh. Chaps. 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 <laughs> I've never known of chaps in any other context, but maybe that's because I'm not a cowgirl. Cow, yeah, cowboys wear chaps. That was just to protect their legs when they were riding horses. I don't know horses. many cowboys. Do you? No, I don't. <laughs> we, we don't Would ma- you like to be one? We don't get many cowboys sort of like, you know, taking their sort of like, you know, um, horses across the, um, the the wild fields of Cambridgeshire. <laughs> Yeehaw! Yeah. We don't have any hoedowns up here. <laughs> We've got loads down here, Plymouth hoedowns. <laughs> These videos are really cool. I love yeah. all this. Criminal criminal gangs! Daring raids, moving lorries up to 50. But what I don't get, okay, because what the... I've posted an article on our Twitter, YDLMF podcast, Twitter, and it shows this diagram of a lorry boxed in by three cars. Um, so that car at the back 
Can you see that little diagram? The guy does climb out of the sunroof. You mm. said, wouldn't it be easier to? So he does. But I guess that's in motion then. Yeah, they're driving along. That's the point. I mean, the thing is... No, like, I, I get it. I get it. Okay, I do get that. But one of, the, one, of, one, one of the cops says, I really can't believe that they're doing this with such a low return. I mean, you're driving along at 50 miles, you're cli- miles an hour. You're climbing onto the roof of a moving car. You're then climbing down the bonnet. Your mate's holding you by the ankle while you reach forward, undo this lorry, and then grab this box containing presumably a flat screen television vision or whatever and it's like how much are you going to sell that for down the pub i don't know a hundred quid so you're you're, you're risking your life for the sake of ben if you think about a lorry full of a lorry full of iphones and ipads and and i mean a lot of apple goods have been taken um that's a that's a pretty good stash yeah, I've got okay. loads in the back room if you want one. <laughs> what have you been... Is it the, Victor- the Mitzi rollover? No, the kind of successful heist I'd have would be like a, um, Richard Maidley. What booze? Don't, yeah, don't you remember? He got caught nicking a bottle of wine, didn't he? <laughs> Pinch- <laughs> That'd be me. Pinch and Judy. <laughs> Richard and Booby. <laughs> <He> was- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about them. Do we have to explain that to our American friends? You'd be, what would you be rolling over? What support underwear and stuff? Would you? <laughs> oh God, we're back at tenor pads in Conti pants. <laughs> <laughs> Although they're worth their weight in gold in Plymouth, I've got to say, <laughs> worth their weight um, in golden showers. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> Playstations, TVs, mobile phones, cigarettes. Yeah, that, that I think is a bit stupid, really. I mean, just, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, it, it goes nicely with um, that, that drugs haul in yeah. Northern Ireland. I thought, it is we love cool all footage. this moving crime. Yeah. <laughs> it shows you, doesn't it, the, the huge range, the beautiful gamut of crime from one extreme to another. Really, yeah. that we cover. Mm. It, it does. It does. It is. I have to say, it is fun footage watching this stuff of these guys climbing out of cars and trying to get to lorries and stuff. Okay, and they've got a figure of twenty-seven raids. We were talking about it when we yeah. um, up to September. But what I think is sad about this is that they're going. They're, they're not just targeting. I mean, it's bad that they're targeting big lorries, but they're targeting the little delivery drivers. Who I just think that must be such a shit job. What being and a delivery driver. Yeah, and then and then on top of it, because they're not because they're Amazon and those big companies have hired so many drivers now um, that they're not giving them security training. So you're just like really desperate. You might be a student. You might be I don't know whoever, and um, and you're going into this shit job with really long hours, and they don't tell you to last minute when they need you, and then they bin you off, and they don't pay you properly, and blah blah blah, or they don't pay you enough certainly. And then on top of it, you've got to risk your life to be because they're they're doing these lorry. These these um, van jacks more and more as well. Well, there so you they go. wait for the man to or the, the person to do the delivery with the keys in and just take the van. But that's when the they gig- nip out. But that's the gig economy, and people want stuff delivered to their houses, don't they? So somebody's going to do it. God, people are really manic about getting their deliveries. It's kind of not dissimilar, I suppose, to talking of cowboys in the old Wild West and people in their chaps. <laughs> it's kind of not, not dissimilar to sort of like. Um, you know, highwaymen and stuff who would like rob stagecoaches and things in the old west. You know, you need somebody riding shotgun. Yeah. I wonder if we're gonna when are we gonna reach a point now where van drivers have somebody riding shotgun with them. God, with like an AK forty seven. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Cover me, I'm changing God, I like lane. That job. <laughs> Cover me, I'm cha- turning off the motorway. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, that was a rabbit. Shit. <laughs> anyway, well on that happy note. Yes. 
Uh, I've got one more thing. Mm. I've got it. I've got a funny email. That's what I was tittering about a bit earlier. <laughs> Go on then. Tell me about your email. I can't read it all, but um, it's Maxwell. Hi, Max. <laughs> And uh, it was talking about the sex toys that we've been talking about in the previous two episodes. Mm. Um, one, both of which have been to attention seek, I believe, yes. by ladies who are so embarrassed that they put their stories in national papers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in your last episode, you talk about a lady with a sex toy. I don't think it's a crime to have a sex toy, but they can be dangerous. And all I'll say <laughs> Ask about. You a Exactly. Wow, this is a this is a um private part injury special, this one. <laughs> and it looks like that Maxwell's had his own accident and that's all I can um that's all I can go to say. Except it says it now looks at the, she's it's in, the um the sex toy has resulted in his, her cauterizing her own lady parts, apparently. Ooh. Please warn your listeners of the dangers. Okay, cauterizing. What was it to catch fire? Was she was electrical it... malfunction? <laughs> I've actually said it all now. I said the bit that I wasn't going to say. <laughs> what did it you... now looks like a couple of burgers on a charcoal grill. Oh God! On that happy note, Merry Christmas, <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Merry Christmas. I hope you're not feeling hungry because that's quashed you. Just listen to that, part, that the part about private parts over and over again. <laughs> not listening to my, looking forward to my pigs in blankets. <laughs> Neither is anyone else, Ben. Or my well-basted turkey. All right, just quickly give out the... Um, you didn't let me finish at gmail.com. Yeah, so the website... For anyone who wants to give us their apocryphal... Anybody else who wants to send us their instance. sex toy stories or anything else come to that, it's uh, you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. And on Twitter, we are at YDLMF podcast. And thank you very much for listening. We love you. And, yeah. um, and let us know with a, a little bit of a check-in to our email or our Twitter. We're always there. And our stories. So go and have a look at the lorry jacking on YDLMF podcast on Twitter. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.